Welcome to Informed Aging, a podcast about health, help, and hard decisions for older adults. My name is Robin Roundtree. I'm a former family caregiver and now work for the Alzheimer's and Dementia Resource Center. Typically, my co-host Edith Gendron, who is the chief of operations for the Alzheimer's and Dementia Resource Center, is with us, but she's off doing something quite awesome. If you joined us for episode 23 of Family's Journey with Early Onset Alzheimer's Disease, you heard Michelle tell the story of her father getting early onset Alzheimer's disease right after the death of her mother. It was heartbreaking, and we just appreciate her sharing her story. But now she's getting married, and Edith is out of town attending the wedding, and we certainly wish the couple all the joys that life can bring them. So while Edith is out of town, we're going to explore some of our greatest hits. We'll talk about sex, money, and all sorts of things. We'll be back right after this. For over 37 years, the Alzheimer's and Dementia Resource Center, ADRC, has served as a Central Florida-based grassroots nonprofit and community resource center. They are dedicated to providing support and hope for families and individuals caring for someone they love who is living with Alzheimer's disease or other dementia-related illnesses. ADRC empowers caregivers with the knowledge, support, skills, and strategies they need to help them confidently prepare for the challenges that lie ahead. To learn more, visit the website adrccares.org. And we're back. We're digging into some of our favorite episodes like episode four, health insurance for older adults, legal advice for everyone with Kathleen Flamia of Flamia Law. She talked about the legal documents everybody needs, starting off with questions about power of attorney. I'm often asked, what's the difference between a durable power of attorney and a regular power of attorney? The difference being the word durable means that If after you sign the power of attorney, you become mentally incapacitated or incompetent, the power that you give your agent or attorney, in fact, continues on. So your agent can continue to act for you even if you aren't mentally competent. Okay, so my mother has given me, for an example, power of attorney. But if she is then diagnosed with dementia, the power of attorney does not It does if it's a durable power of attorney. So you need to look for that language in the power of attorney itself. Okay. So other than that DPOA, durable power of attorney, what legal documents should be in place? Well, you know, everybody thinks that estate planning is planning for what happens after you die. But there's a very important part of estate planning that deals with what happens when you're alive. And we call those documents ancillary documents. Um, The durable power of attorney, uh, which allows someone to handle your finances. The healthcare surrogate, which allows someone to make a medical decision for you if you are unable to do so. The HIPAA release, which is really important, Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And that allows the people that you've listed on that document to talk to your medical providers and access your confidential medical information. And then your living will, which of course states your end-of-life choices, and lastly, your declaration of pre-need guardian. And that's the document that says, if anybody goes to court and files a petition saying I'm not mentally competent, 
and they try to get appointed guardian, this document tells the judge who I want my pre-need guardian to be. Oh, that's very important. I hadn't known about that one. Yeah, that would solve a lot of family trauma, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. It's really the most important document sometimes when it comes to looking at a guardianship when there's family disputes, um, and it's most often left out of estate plans. Huh. Well, get that one done, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, because Edith and I have heard more than our fair share of drama, as I'm sure you have, Kathleen. Yes. Especially in families, right, Kathleen? Absolutely. It will tear even a good, strong, loving family apart over and over again. Just a reminder, Kathleen Flamia practices law in Florida. And before you make any changes in your life or your person's life, You want to make sure to consult your very own experts. We're going from the law into money with Tony Peroni, president and founder of Estate and Business Planning Group, also the author of his book, I Didn't Know You Could Do That. And we wanted to ask him, is it a good idea for you to gift money to your adult children while you're still alive? If you have it gifted, um, That's always a big auction, especially if you're not going through your money at any fast pace right? and you have, you know, a nice nest egg. It's always better off gifting the money and watch the enjoyment of it now. Um, I'm a big fan of gifting with no strings attached or you're just going to make yourself miserable. Don't gift with strings attached or you're going to cause a family issue. And I'm a big fan. If you're going to gift, do not gift for Christmas and holidays because then they're going to expect it. Never gift for birthdays, Christmas or holidays. Mm. Only gift on just to give. Because if you gift on certain dates, they're going to expect it. Then they're going to spend money based on that. Then you don't give. Now they're all mad at you because you didn't give because of bad market. So never gift for birthdays and holidays. Wow. Only gift during for no reason. That they just open the envelope up, create a wow, like you just right. said. Wow. Um, and it's never expected. Okay. But if you do it on those holidays, I've seen families break up, upset huh. with mom. They call me. Why didn't my mom and dad give me? Because the market was down this year. They don't have the ability to give for this year. Oh, well, I, I bought a Harley because of it. I was like, well, you shouldn't have done that. It's not, they've been doing it for five years straight. Yeah, but not six. You know, they need the money for their care or hey, she, they start breaking down a little bit. You know, they needed special beds or they, need some, they needed some home health care. You know, we use the money for that instead. So just don't get them caught in a rut. Um, and only if you can afford a gift. Uh, never give your kids highly appreciated assets. So if you're going to give them, give them cash. Excellent information from Tony Peroni. We're going to be back talking to our sex therapist right after this message. Senior Helpers is the only home care agency offering a revolutionary new way to approach senior care. The Life Profile Assessment. This data-based app is a crucial tool in helping seniors age safely and successfully at home. Combined with our proven in-home care programs and trained caregivers, Senior Helper's Life Profile is leading the way to better outcomes for our clients. For more information, log on to SeniorHelpers.com. We're back and we're playing some of our greatest hits. And one of our biggest downloads has come from episode 26, Sex and Seniors. We had Tori Ricci on. She's an intimacy and couples coach, a certified sex therapist, and a licensed clinical social worker. You can find her online at peachy, spelled with an I, -I P-E-A-C-H-I therapy.com. That's peachy with an I, therapy.com. And we wanted to talk to her about 
having a discussion with someone about sex and intimacy. Sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a challenge, right? It depends on who you're talking to. Who is your partner? What is their upbringing? How do they feel about sex? How do they feel about intimacy? And I think, you know, one of the bigger things we can do is really breaking down what is intimacy because you're right, Robin, it's so much more than just sex. Uh, so something that I do often with my clients is called intimacy mapping. And that's really breaking down what level of intimacy is involved for each individual and what forms of intimacy are important to them so that we can do it together. So if you're looking Looking at the different eight types of intimacy, I won't go into all of them right now. Eight types. Uh, eight types. There are so many. And you know what? There'll probably be, be more here in, in the coming years as we all become more educated. Um, but, you know, it, besides physical touch, which you did mention, Robin, um, is actually separate from how we see sex. So sex is a form of intimacy. Physical touch is a form of intimacy. Emotional intimacy. Um, affection is a form of intimacy. You know, aesthetics is a form of intimacy. We, we, we could go into all all of them. But really what intimacy mapping is about is taking each individual's perception and their palette for what intimacy is. So asking those questions, well, what does it look like for you when you're intimate? Is it touch? Is it the space you're in? Is it your surroundings? Is it um, having ability of comfort? Is it um, the aesthetics of the room and the noise and the music? Is it having a deeper intellectual conversation that's you know, similar and something you care about. So, you know, when you figure out all the different spaces in which you do find comfort or connection, that's really what intimacy is about, right? You can experience intimacy with your best friend, with your mom, and it doesn't have to be sexual. It's about connection. And we all yearn for connection as human beings. That's, that's how we we're made. That's our genetic makeup. So when you look at those different types of intimacy, I love doing the mapping because you break it down per individual. And then if you guys are familiar at all with the love languages. I love using that as an example, the five love languages, because it's a great example of how we can care and nurture for each other. So um, I won't dive into the five love languages. For those of you who are familiar, you'll probably know that it's about giving your partner love how they receive it and making sure that you're able to receive love in the way that you want to. But when you talk about connection, if you're able to figure out the different types of intimacy and connection you experience and you're able to share that with your partner or your best friend or your mom or your brother, you're able to give each other the type of connection that you yearn for and we can all feel more fulfilled. So we've talked about the law and money and sex. Next up, dying and hospice. Hospice, actually, another one of our really popular episodes, believe it or not. It's episode eight. And it's something I think people want to know more about, but they don't want to bring it up in normal conversation. But we're not afraid to go there. We can handle a scary subject. So Sarah Garcia, exactly what is hospice? Sure. You're right. Hospice can be a very um, scary subject when you first hear the word, but really hospice is all about making the patient comfortable and having support during a difficult uh, period of a disease process. And it is paid for by Medicare. That is great news. <laughs> it is paid 100% by Medicare. And if somebody has Medicare, an Advantage plan, even Medicaid, it is paid for entirely through that benefit. It's also covered by private insurance and 
the good thing is, too, we do not turn anybody away if they have no insurance. If they meet the clinical criteria for hospice, we want to ensure that they get the care that they need. That's fantastic. I always say it's my number one thing I like about our government is that they provide payment for hospice care. So why do people get so scared talking about hospice? I think people get scared for different reasons, but when hospice first started a number of years ago in the early 80s, when it became a Medicare benefit, I should say, Mm -hmm. um, people came on to hospice literally in the last few days of life. And hospice was wonderful in providing pain management and care for those last few days. However, it's really evolved, and you no longer have to wait for those last few days of life to get that benefit. It's available so much sooner, but people still have that older mentality that when I hear hospice or the doctor or somebody says I need to be on hospice, that that means I only have a few days left, and that can be a very scary feeling. If you would like more information on hospice, you can check out the Advent Health Hospice website, planforhospice.com. After all these serious subjects, I think we need to talk about getting some counseling, maybe? We had April Boykin of Counseling Resource Services on episode 18, Aging and Quality of Life. Great discussion with her about the importance of optimism when you age, but also we wanted to ask her, is depression part of aging and when should you seek help? I think what's really important to know, and I'm going to pull out the statistics again, about 80% of people who suffer with depression or anxiety um, could actually be improved, right? Their their well-being could be even in some cases cured for the moment, right? 100% could get better. 100% could feel better, even if it's only for a short time. And so often we look at aging and we say, oh, well, cognitive decline happens. So does depression or anxiety. And that's just not true. You don't have to sit with that and be with that. People should be depressed at some points in their life. It's a normal response, right? When, it, when we get stuck in it, whether it's a grief process or it's a health condition, When we get stuck in that, it's important to reach out and get help, right? If we if we looked at our emotions like our blood pressure, every time they were off for too long, we would get some help. So it doesn't matter if they have you know the onset of dementia or if they have chronic depression they've had all their life. Anytime someone begins to demonstrate those symptoms again, they can benefit. We had someone who was 107 years old referred to us. Wow. And at 107, how they wanted to spend the rest of their life was with a little bit more support. And I think that's wonderful. Yeah. So I guess counseling, especially in decades past, had a different connotation. Um, it's not doesn't mean that you're crazy or anything. It can be just a way of getting unstuck. It is a way of getting unstuck. And I think we all laugh at ourselves and we would all probably call ourselves crazy, mm-hmm. right? And and then it makes us afraid. Well, I don't want anyone else to think that, really. That's not what we do. That's not what we're there for. We're there to listen without any other conditions on it, right? We're there to fully hear your story. We're there to help you find coping skills. We're there to help you put words to things that you've felt and experienced. We're there to be an advocate for you. So it isn't about, you know, shame, right? 
because we all have these issues. We've all had these life experiences that we need somebody's support for. Absolutely. Well, I hope you've enjoyed listening back to some of our past podcasts. Of course, you can go back and listen to the entire episode if you want. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast, Informed Aging, and please tell your family and friends about us. You can find us at facebook.com slash informed aging. If you need to reach out to us, send an email to informedagingpodcast at gmail.com. That's it for now. We're looking forward to our next visit.